Well, thank you everyone for being here. I, I wanted to uh, reiterate that we would love for you to fill out uh, one of our communication cards that hopefully you got in your bulletin. If you mark, hey, I'm a, I'm a first-time guest or here's my information, I would love to give you a handwritten card. We still send letters, like those are things that still exist, right? Yeah. Not just an email. I'm fine with emails, but when someone handwrites a letter to you, it's, it's pretty special. Um, we're going to be in 1 Kings today, and 1 Kings is, of course, the book that comes before 2 Kings, and it comes after 2 Samuel. Uh, the Old Testament, you know, we got a lot of uh, these, these books, so this is part of the historical side, right? This is in the history of, of Israel. So, right, last week we had talked about the entire story of the Bible, so where it falls in the timeline is... You know, the kingdom has split, and so now we have prophets of God who are saying, hey, this is what's going to happen, or this is what's, you know, not going to happen, and here's what we should look forward to. But I wanted to get you guys prepared so we can flip there together, First Kings chapter 19. Um, there's something that, that when, we, when we talk to each other, you know, like we said, hey, you know, hey, how are you doing this morning? You know, you, the church answer is like, oh, I'm fine, I'm good. Um, that, that's what we say, right? You know, like even if you just had the roughest week of your life, maybe you just found out that, you know, one of your dear friends is, is dying or, or just recently died. You come to church and someone shakes their hand. You go, how are you doing? You go, I'm fine. I'm good. Sometimes, man, I'm doing great. But I guess my question is, is do these words, do they really convey, do they really tell the story of how we're feeling inside? Are we being honest with each other? We come to buildings like this, we, we look at each other in the face and we say that we're fine or we're good, and some days, if we're being honest, some days we aren't, right? Am I the only one that has days when I'm not fine? Is it just me? Because you guys are looking at me like, man, this guy's crazy, he doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, sometimes I feel like we're, we're afraid. We're afraid that if, if we're honest with people in church about how we really feel or that maybe things are not going as well as we'd want them to be right now, if, if, we, if we really tell people the truth, I, I feel like we're afraid that they'll judge us or maybe that they'll ask too many questions and you know, we won't be able to, to hold, it, hold ourselves together. Um, but I, I, I think I'm, I'm concerned that we have set this, this precedent that it, it's, it's not okay to not be okay. And in case I'm not being completely clear, really, I'm talking about like depression or feelings of sadness that well up within us. And here at Redwood Christian Church, we are not, we're not a normal church because we like to talk about the, the tough, real-life problems, the real-life subjects that come from the Bible. We want to talk about reality and, and difficult issues. We don't sugarcoat topics. We preach from the Bible. We see what it says, and we do what it tells us to do. So today we're going to talk about depression from a story in the Old Testament. And I know some of you are like, man, I don't want to hear this millennial get up and talk about how sad he is, you know, how things in this world just make him want to like go home and cry in his mom's basement. Um, and, and if that's how you feel, then, then you're in the right place because that has absolutely nothing to do with what we're going to talk about today. Um, I remember, you guys remember commercials back before we had stuff? So there's this uh, commercial 
that I remember uh, the first time I saw it, I, I mean, it was a long time ago, like uh, 2000, and it was so, so long ago. I was just a baby then, and uh, I remember there was like this floating cloud, and this cloud was, was sad, and it was a Paxil commercial, and they, I couldn't find a clip for it at all, so I'd show it, but this, it said there, there were these three symptoms, and if you had any of these three symptoms, then you could possibly be experiencing depression, and so this, this cloud had a depressed mood, a loss of interest, and sleep problems, which is like, yeah, all of us have been there, but it, this, this commercial was, was pretty clear. It says, hey, if you have any of these things, you take these, uh, these magical candies, and everything will just be perfect and great and better. And uh, I can tell you as someone who has, honestly, I've taken antidepressants in the past, um, going through really hard seasons, just felt like, man, there's just this cloud that was over me all the time. I just couldn't get out of that funk. And so, you know, my doctor told me, hey, if your arm was broken, what would you do? You put it in a cast, right? So when your mind is, is broken and having a hard time recovering, you, sometimes you got to help it to recover. And so I, I feel like sometimes there's this stigma around antidepressants that people who take them are crazy. Um, and yes, I am crazy, but they, they didn't help. And, but it, it helped me get over my, my depression. And I took them for a couple months and it really helped me get back to where I needed to be because I needed help and I needed help, but I wasn't ready to admit that to myself, to my church family or to God, which is weird, right? Like, I was willing to talk about it with my doctor, but when it came to my church, every week I'd come and I'd put on my happy face and I'd pretend like I was fine, but really inside I was dying. I often felt like there's this, again, there's this stigma that if you truly believe in God, if you just love God and you try hard enough that you'll be fine. The most difficult part of the healing process is admitting to God and admitting to your church family that you are not fine. So you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be happy all the time. It's not true. And we're going to look at it in the Bible. We're going to look at it uh, in this passage, 1 Kings chapter 19. And I know that this was uh, talked about uh, 12 weeks or so ago, and I appreciated the sermon. But as I listened to it, I was like, man, there's, there's so much there that I wanted us to get from that passage. And so we're going to revisit it again today if you were here. It was a great message, but again, I think there was just a little more meat left on that bone. So we're going to look at that Today, we're going to put it up on the screen. Uh, the words are going to be kind of small, so if you don't have a Bible with you, we're going to have it up there. Uh, again, I've talked about this before. If you have a phone, you got the version app, which is a great app, several different versions of the Bible on there, so you can read it there. We also have Bibles under several of the seats if you're looking for one, but we're going to put it up on the screen. It's a long passage. It's going to take about five minutes to read, but it's a story, and we need to hear the whole story. Okay, you guys ready? ready. All right. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And I put those, uh, that, the yellow stuff is not from the Bible. That's my commentary. Right, just so we know what team we're on. Ahab, Jezebel, bad guys. Elijah, good guy. So there we go. Uh, and how, uh, how Elijah had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to, to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, 
saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under that broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a he- uh, at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank, and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again and touched him a second time and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in strength for that food uh, for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And the word, uh, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, uh, and, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after an earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with a sword, and I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive... You shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. This passage that we're looking at right here in 1 Kings 19, I know it's a long one and some of you just fell asleep. Uh, Elijah had just conquered the false prophets of, of Baal, of Baal, in chapter 18. He held a competition. It was a really awesome competition. I suggest you read it sometime. I'm going to give you the cliff notes. Uh, He was trying to win back the people of Israel. He's trying to conquer these these false prophets, these false teachers. So Elijah sets up this competition with the prophets of, of, of Baal, and they will both set up this altar. And on the altar, both the prophets of Baal and Elijah will place a bull that they made, uh, that they somehow magically made into smaller pieces. So hopefully PETA doesn't hear about this, uh, but it's true. Uh, we got a picture of that altar hopefully coming up here. And whoever, uh, the, 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 the point of this competition was whoever could get their God to light the altar on fire by any means necessary would win. The only thing is they, they couldn't themselves light the fire. They had to pray. They had to do whatever it took to get their God to pay attention to them. And uh, so the prophets of Baal set up their altar, all their rituals, which included dancing around the altar from morning till noon. And it says in, in verse, uh, 18, uh, chapter 18, verse 26, that there was no voice and no one answered. So, right, so the prophets, they're dancing, they're doing all of their rituals. And it says there's no voice and no one answered. So Elijah, he mocks the prophets of Baal saying, maybe you need to yell louder. Because, I mean, he's a god, isn't he? Perhaps he has been distracted, or maybe he is relieving himself, or perhaps he is sleeping, or maybe he's just out of town right now and cannot be reached. Yeah, sometimes prophets can be snarky. Uh, So the prophets of Baal, they they really stepped up their sadistic game that they were playing, and, and they began to cut themselves with swords as they cried aloud to Baal. But in verse 29, again, it says, there was no voice and no one answered. 
So they, they gave up. So Elijah takes his turn, right? He builds his altar with 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel and places wood on top of that and then digs a trench around the altar. After he places the bull on the altar, he tells the Israelites to fill four large jars, these huge, you know, many, many gallon jars with water, and douse the entire altar and bowl in water. And he tells them to do this not once, not twice, but three times. And there's so much water around the altar that the whole trench is now filled with water. Then Elijah prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known that this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And after Elijah prays, the Lord sends down fire, and it was so hot that it didn't just burn up the bull, it burnt up the altar and all of the water around it. There was nothing left. That's how hot the fire was that came from heaven. So all those who were there had to acknowledge that Elijah's God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel, was the one true God. So Elijah had his men round up the prophets of Baal, who hadn't already killed themselves with the swords uh, during their ritual, and he wiped them out so that uh, the worship in Israel would be pure for God alone. And then Elijah went up to the mountain of Caramel. Oh, no. Uh, okay, well, it wasn't, it wasn't a mountain. It was just Mount Carmel. Sorry, I misread my notes there. Uh, mount, a mountain of Carmel sounds a lot more exciting though, right? I mean, just it sounds sticky, but exciting. Uh, so he goes up to Mount Carmel and he prays. So Elijah has this big amazing moment, right, where he sees God do something that, that, can, that can only be explained by God being the most powerful, the most miraculous, the most mighty, the most righteous. And Elijah knows that it's, it's because he's a prophet of God, the one true God, that this happens. And he goes up to this mountain. He has this life-moving moment where he sees God work in a very physical way. And he knows that God is with him. And he knows that there's no one more powerful than his God. And then he finds out that, you know, Jezebel's pretty upset about what he did. Because the, the problem was, is that God was the most powerful God in all of the universe. And he made that very clear. But Jezebel was the most powerful woman in the world at that time. So there's this struggle that he's having with knowing and believing that God is the most powerful God, and Jezebel is the most powerful woman, and Jezebel wants to kill Elijah. When Jezebel wanted someone dead, they were going to die. And so, understandably, Elijah was concerned. Yeah, he was nervous, yeah. And so in verse 4, Elijah experiences the first symptom of depression, finding out this news, which is, of course, a depressed mood. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and asked that he might die. I mean, that's, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm, I'm not a doctor, but that's, that's a depressed mood, am I right? Like, someone sits down under a broom tree and asks that they die. That's, that's pretty depressed. And he asks permission from God to die. He asks that he might 
die. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I know that some of you in this room have felt that feeling. You know what that feeling is like. You're like, I don't want to end my own life, but I don't want to go through this next season of my life. So God, if there's anything that you can do to take it away. So you are not alone. This is, again, this is the prophet of the Most High God. He is experiencing those same emotions that you have or maybe are currently experiencing. And in the second half of verse 4, he experiences our second symptom of depression, which is a loss of interest. He says, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Again, this is Elijah. Remember, we just talked about, we're talking one chapter prior, in chapter 18, he has this amazing experience. And now, depression. Man, I just, I've had those days. I've had enough. I'm done. And anyone who has kids has had those days too. And you're lying. (laughs) You know those days, you know, you're like, hey, I want macaroni. So you make a macaroni. I hate it. And they flip it on the ground. And so I'm done. You know, like this is, this is it. Uh, So this is the, this is one of those days. You know, Elijah says, you know, I've tried to do this. I've tried to be a a profiteer or prophetizing or prophetical duties or, you know, he says, but he says, you know, it didn't make me any friends. He said, I I did this this great thing and had this this mighty thing done. And at the end of the day, all it got me was uh, death threats. So he's ready to be done. In the next verse, he shows his symptoms of the third sign of depression, which is, of course, sleep problems. It says, and he lay down and slept under a broom tree. Now, I, I personally have uh, narcolepsy, uh, which means that uh, I'm always in danger to sit down and fall asleep. Uh, so if you don't know what that is, you can Google it later. Uh, but basically, I have this, uh, this uh, superpower that I can fall asleep whenever I want. And for some reason, they don't write about him down like in the Marvel comic books, right? It's like, what can you do, Superman? He's like, well, I can fly, I can, you know, I got frost breath, I can shoot lasers out of my eyes. He basically, you know, impervious to almost anything unless there's kryptonite nearby. And they go, well, narcolepsy, man, what can you do? It's like, well, I just fell asleep while Superman was talking about all his powers. So that's what, <laughs> it's my superpower. Um, but Elijah clearly was having sleeping problems. He's so tired that he falls asleep under a tree made of brooms. Um, Okay, maybe that's, it's not actually made of brooms. It just looks like a broom. Can you see that, that tree? I know it's, kind of, it's not the brightest uh, picture, uh, but it kind of looks like a broom, right? Like if you turn a broom upside down, that's, so that's why they call it a broom tree. You guys still with me? Are we still here? It's a, it's a broom tree. It's a tree. And so it's not exactly one that's known for providing a, a ton of shade, right? And he's not setting up a hammock in this broom tree. Like when we talk about trees here in the Northwest, we're like, oh, there was this 100-foot-tall redwood, and it was 40 feet wide. No, it's a, it's a broom tree. It's this, a tiny little amount of shade, and that's where he falls asleep, right? So God wakes him up from his sleep, and of course, he immediately punishes him, right? He has to, because for a follower of Jesus, for a follower of God, it's not okay to not be okay 
So he gives Elijah this big speech, right? If you truly believed in me, you wouldn't be so sad, right? That's, that's what he said, right? We read that passage together. Is that, is that what happened? But hasn't that happened to you? Right? When you've been sad, someone tells you, you shouldn't be so sad. But what God does is what you wished that friend or that family member did for you. He sends an angel to feed him and to let him rest. And God doesn't just feed Elijah. He gives him cake. <laughs> now that, that is a God I can worship. Amen? He makes me sleep and gives me cake. Hallelujah. <laughs> and, I, and I love, I love what the, the angel of the Lord says. He says, arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. He, the, the angel of the Lord, he understands Elijah's weakness. He understands what's going on in Elijah's life right now. He doesn't judge him. He just lets him sleep and gives him cake. The angel of the Lord, he's preparing Elijah for this journey where Elijah is uh, get a chance to talk to the Almighty God, not to reprimand him or scold him, but just to prepare him. He just makes Elijah healthy, healthy enough to make the journey. And I know that for some of you, you you've, you've read this passage, you've seen this passage, and it's just like, yeah, it's not a big deal. Because when I'm sad, sometimes I feel like God is mad at me because I'm sad. I feel like if I can't be happy, then, then God, yeah, is disappointed in me, that He doesn't love me as much as He would if I was happy, full of joy. But the Lord realizes when we have come up to things that are far too difficult for us to face alone, and he doesn't judge us, he loves us. He nurses us back to health and brings us cake. But when it's like spiritual cake, the calories don't count, right? So it's like... <laughs> he was about to walk for 40 days, so I'm sure he burned off that cake. Uh, but because of the cake and the rest, Elijah's rejuvenated and he walks to Mount Horeb, uh, which a lot of scholars believe could be another name for Mount Sinai, which is, where, of course, where they receive the, the Ten Commandments. There's historically a great amount of significance uh, for this. And Elijah knew his history well. So when Elijah arrives there, he finds a cave to lodge in. And the Lord speaks to him and he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And I always love it when God asks a question, right? This goes back even to, to Genesis, right? When he's looking, God is looking for Adam in the garden. Adam, where are you? Like God doesn't know where he is, right? And I was talking uh, with Ed uh, Morphus about this, and, and he said something that, that I also truly believe. When God asks a question, he doesn't want information. He's looking for recognition. So when he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah should have said, well, I'm here to meet with you. I'm here, the angel of the Lord sent me, he sent me here to talk to you. But that's not what Elijah does. Elijah makes it all about him. You know, it's like, I've worked hard for you. All of my friends are dead. All the other prophets are dead. I'm the only one who's left. And now Jezebel wants me left, wants me dead. And I'm the only one who cares. Elijah doesn't mention anything of the amazing things that the Lord had just done through him and around him. He just talks about how he feels so depressed. So the Lord, again, the Lord rebukes Elijah, reminds him of how hard he worked through Elijah, right? 
No. God tells Elijah to go stand on the mountain. He says, now a, now a strong wind arose so that it broke pieces off the mountain, but the Lord was not in the wind. And then an earthquake shook the mountain violently, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then a fire swept over the mountain, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then a soft whisper was faintly heard, and the Lord was in the whisper. We often think that God reveals Himself through miracles, great signs and wonders, and then these miraculous events are are happening, and sometimes we feel like when miraculous events aren't happening that there's something wrong, right? We see God do great things, change our hearts, changing the hearts of others, doing miraculous, many mighty works. I've seen people be healed from demons, be be cast out in the name of Christ. I know God does huge miracles, but this isn't all that God is. God is in the miracles of your life that you cannot deny, and God is in the quiet whispers that soothes your weary soul. So God asks Elijah again, what are you, what are you doing here? And Elijah, he's still struggling with his sadness. He gives him the same exact answer. And again, it, it's so profound to me because God does not respond with hostility or with impatience or, or unkindness. Nor does he specifically address Elijah's sadness. He doesn't ask him, why are you sad? He asks, why are you here? He's trying to prepare Elijah to, so that he understands why he is there. And I, and I believe that this is, this is, it gives us a picture to understand the true heart, the true nature of God. And when you're alone, exhausted, overwhelmed, sad, completely spent, you feel like your efforts have been for nothing and that we wasted the best years of our lives and question whether or not we should even get out of bed in the morning. And it's tough, and it's really tough because you don't want to feel alone, but you don't want to be around anyone else. And so you have this self-fulfilling prophecy that even though you don't want to be alone, you don't want other people to be around you, and so you feel like you're all alone, you feel more alone, and then it just gets worse and Worse as we push other people away and feel more sad and more alone. And even when God or our friends show up and do amazing things, we have a difficult time seeing the light in the darkness. And the worst part is, is that, you know, know you're not supposed to be sad. Like in in your heart of hearts, you're like, yeah, I know I'm not supposed to be sad. You know that God and your family don't want you to be sad because you'll just bring them down and and everyone else, and so you feel an enormous amount of guilt and shame, which adds to the sadness. And I've been there. You're not alone. You're not a bad person or a bad Christian. You're just a person who struggles sometimes, and it's okay. It's okay to not be okay all the time. So what I want you to gather, what I want you to, to glean, what I want you to get from this message really is three things from Elijah's story, his struggle with depression. The first is this, even the godliest of people can become depressed. Your depression is not a reflection of how much you do or do not love or believe in God. I'll say that again. Your depression or your sadness is not a reflection of how much you do or do not believe in God. When Elijah was really struggling and wanted to give up, he did not claim that there wasn't a God or that he didn't love him. He just was overwhelmed and he felt alone. 
Even the godliest of people can become depressed. The second is this, God knows and cares about your depression. When Elijah laid down under the tree of brooms and cried out in sadness and frustration, God heard his cries and sent an angel down to comfort him. Oftentimes in our depression, we feel so far from God. And everyone else, just like Elijah did, but God proved to Elijah and to us that he hears and cares for us. God sent an angel to bring Elijah cake when he was depressed. Remember that. God sent an uh, an angel to bring Elijah cake when he was depressed. God doesn't judge. This is the third one. God doesn't judge you or condemn you for being depressed. So you shouldn't judge yourself or others for being depressed. Now, I will say this. um, It doesn't matter how we feel. It doesn't give us the right to treat other people poorly. Right, so when you're feeling sad, you don't, you don't have the permission to take out your sadness or your anger upon other people, but you need to have the freedom to, to feel what you are feeling and to express that in a healthy way. God doesn't condemn you for being sad, but He will judge you for how you treat others. Does that make sense? It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to take out your hurt on other people. When you are depressed, you shouldn't beat yourself up for being depressed. When Elijah was depressed, God brought him cake, sent him to the mountain, revealed himself to Elijah, and gave him a task to accomplish. God didn't reprimand him. He didn't scold him. He didn't tell him how disappointed he was in him. He allowed Elijah to rest and gave him a new mission to accomplish. And for some of you, this sermon, this message, this story, it didn't hit home at all. And I know that. I see that on your faces. You listen to the whole thing and thought, man, that didn't really, that didn't really apply to me. Because you're never sad and you're never lonely. You're just perfect. You're just great all the time. But maybe there's some of you out there that are feeling these feelings today. And in your sadness, perhaps you turn to, to drugs or sex or alcohol or whatever it is that you have tried to heal the pain within you but it just made it worse. Nothing worked. God knows what you're going through, and He just wants to help. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 11 uh, that He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. God is with us, not to judge us, but to help us carry the difficult load. God is carrying it with us. Whatever has happened in your life that has led you to this place of mourning and suffering, I promise you that even if you are not fine today, that God and our church here at Redwood, we will love you no matter how you feel, no matter what you're struggling with, and it's okay to not be okay all the time. So I need, you to give, I need you guys to give yourselves permission and your family permission that it's okay to not be okay all the time. I need you to know that I, I love you. Even if I haven't met you yet, I love you, that God loves you, that this church loves you. We're ready to be your family and to help you through whatever season of life that you're going through. It's okay to not be okay all the time and we need to have the freedom to be honest with each other. Not a complain session, but man, I'm, I'm sad, I'm not okay. Again, I'm going to reiterate, if you, are, if you are new here, if you're a guest with us, I'd love for you to fill out some information so I can mail you 
a gift. But right now I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to We're going to pray again together, but I, if you have any prayer requests, please write them down and just know that the elders, if, if you want it to be private, mark that you want it to be private, uh, but the elders and I, that we love to, to pray for you because you are our family and we are excited that you're here. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for giving us permission to not, you know, not be okay. God, you showed us that you don't judge us in our pain. You just love us through it. So, God, help us to, to have the wisdom to know how to help others when they're struggling with it and, and to not take responsibility on ourselves when they're struggling with things or even when we're struggling, to not, um, to not hate ourselves more because of the things that we're struggling with. So, God, we just love you. So, help us to be more honest and more real in our conversations with you and our family and friends around us. So, God, we love you. We just are so thankful for all that you've done and continue to do in our lives. And all God's people said, amen. amen. I did want to make uh, one announcement before Randy comes and gives us announcements. We are going to have at least one baptism next Sunday. At least one. And so if you would like to be number two, three, four, or five, or six, or however many we get next week, please uh, mark that down. Contact me. You have uh, you know, my information, we'd love, the elders would love to talk to you. I'd love to talk with you about it. So do not hesitate because it's going to be full. The water is going to be warm. Uh, we have changing rooms in the back. So please, uh, if you want to get baptized, we'd love to have a ton. So thank you guys. Mm -hmm.